Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Welcome back, prom party. Oh my god, what is this, like 124 episodes later and we finally returned to High School Musical? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, High School Musical was one of the first episodes we ever did with the amazing Willow Hawks, who is the singer of the theme song that you listen to every single week. And we knew we were going to do High School Musical 2 at some point. And since we're in sequel month, you know, why, why even wait for May Musical Month? Let's just do it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> and luckily... This is not just going to be me waxing poetic about the the glory that is the DCOM, because I have a partner in crime this week that's not Harmony. Weird, I know. But this week, we are joined by writer, hilarious person on social media, the former host of the Zetas Le Podcast DCOMs podcast that I was so obsessed with and I mourn every single day. We have Zach Heltzel with us today. Hi, Zach. Hi, thank you for having me. Long time, first time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. When we knew we were going to do High School Musical 2, I was like, look, there's one person that I have to call, and it's Zach. Look, I have not done a Zetus La Podcast now for four years, but every couple of months, somebody from uh, my past will show up and be like, I need to talk to you about X, Y, or Z, and it's uh, always a pleasure. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I hope that you're proud that we've done at least, I think we've done like three or four DCOMs right now, so I didn't like hit you up immediately. I'm not trying to like box you in or anything. I mean, I fit so neatly into that box, right? <laughs> like if I fits, I sits, so <laughs> it's cool. Oh, incredible, incredible. So just to kind of kick things off, going around the room, uh, Harmony, what is your experience, knowledge with High School Musical 2 before this episode? I mean, I I haven't listened to the last episode that we did for High School Musical because it's been a long time uh, and our production values have gone up quite a bit since then, thankfully, because we just learned how to use our equipment better. But <laughs> it was around, I was in high school when High School Musical had its reign I saw the second one, like, coincidentally, like, a week after I saw the first one when we covered it back in the day, and I have complicated feelings about people who say that this is clearly the best one. That's fine. You can have complicated feelings about me. I understand. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Zach, how about you? What is what is your relationship with High School Musical 2? Um, so I didn't see High School Musical 2 until I started doing my podcasts because the first High School Musical came out 
at the exact point where I foolishly thought I was too old for these movies. <laughs> I I remember it was I was going into high school. I was going into my freshman year, and just like time passes so much faster when you're an adult. But like when you when I was like 12, 13, 14, for some reason the the DCOMs that came out in like 2004 were like extremely my shit. Mm-hmm. And by the time it got to 2006, 2007, I was like, that's baby stuff. Um, so I ignored this franchise for so long. I had seen the first one under duress. And because I was a 14-year-old boy, I was just like, this sucks. Um, how wrong was I? Um, <laughs> I will I will disagree with you, Harmony, uh, on the fact that this is, in fact, the best high school musical by... Such a wide margin. This movie rules. I'm not saying it doesn't rule. I'm saying that I have mixed feelings about various... I I hold many truths at the same time when I compare this to the other one I have seen. (laughs) And I can't wait to unpack all of them, but just having seen all four movies, I am not that well-versed in the television show, but uh, just Ryan's hat game alone in this one (laughs) just stands above the rest. It's not even it's not even arguable. But I, I can't wait for you to try. <laughs> <laughs> I am also a high school musical to Stan, and this movie came out when I was a junior in high school, going into my senior year. So this is a, a movie that came out when I was definitively quote unquote too old for this movie. But I watched it thought it was camp as hell, had a blast Mm -hmm. with it. And because of my background in competitive baton twirling, this was a big deal for a lot of the younger kids because they all wanted to twirl to songs from High School Musical 2 to the point where one of like the tiny tot groups did a High School Musical 2 theme. So it was just all of these songs ad nauseum for months at a time for practice and, and recitals and competitions. So I am very, very familiar with this to the point where when it started, and I started singing <laughs> the, the the first song. Army's uh-huh. like, "How do you know the words to this?" And I was like, "Because it lives in me. I <laughs> I can't help it. This is just who I am." And uh, another thing we noticed as we were watching it is how many moments in this movie, in particular, became really popular on Vine. So like, there are just moments from this movie that have permeated and continue to do so. Just kind of the general pop culture conversation, where even if you have not seen High School Musical two. You have seen Zac Efron doing bet on it and his his hand motions. You've, you've seen it. Uh, you've seen Sharpay doing all the things that she does in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I guess to be more specific, my introduction to High School Musical really is all of the references on Vine. <laughs> See, and I love that for you. I think if you're going to be introduced to like a whack ass decom, uh, Vine is a great way to do it. <laughs> I mean, the na-na-na-na, I associate with the kid with the large nostrils that the camera's pointed right up, not the actual movie itself. Understandable. I I also associate this with that kid who punches his own pool while doing the bet on it choreo. It's great. Seven Mm -hmm. seconds of just pure gold. God, I miss Vine. I do too. I miss Vine a lot. So, you know, this is a movie that came out in 2007, and that is both... Not a very long time ago, and also an eternity. So, Harmony, what kind of context can you bring to the table as to what was going on movie-wise in 2007? 2007 is, like, 
the renaissance period it almost feels like for teen films like it has this brief respite where with all due respect to like the disney channel and its titanic grip on the teen sphere of the 2000s this is where we are post mean girls enough that you're starting to see films like juno and super bad and uh, charlie bartlett and bless the hairspray musical for trying its best um, you 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 had dedicated teen films that were sort of venturing out into more adult, less family friendly territory, but at the same time, you also have the Disney Channel doing unbelievable numbers with a, an a, an incredible lineup. As someone who did not watch all these, I can just look at like the shows that were airing concurrently on the Disney Channel and go, no, but this air is untouchable because it's like. That's So Raven, Hannah Montana, The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, Wizards of Waverly Place, Kim Possible, Phineas and Ferb, and uh, I suppose to a lesser extent, Phil of the Future and Corey in the House. But like, those are all on this channel at the same time in 2007. That is unbelievably stacked. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous, actually. Like when you when you itemize it out like that, this is one of their more like empire strikes years for them well yeah it's a lot of these shows are either in their final season by way of like that's so raven or kim possible or they're just starting up like wizards of waverly place and hannah montana it's it's this transitional year where all of these titans converge just untouchable the disney the disney machine is is kind of reaching its final form into what it is going to be in the future this Mm -hmm. year it's like the last gasp of the Disney Channel and the last gasp of the teen movie mm-hmm. at the same time. And, like, it would have been unfathomable that by, like, 2012, these things were just not, did not leave their imprint on the culture anymore. No, not at all. Especially because once we get into the 2010s, like, we see it a little bit this year with stuff like TMNT. Um, Harry Potter obviously has a movie this year. I don't know which one offhand. Um, Transformers, like these teen oriented blockbuster films, but we're going to lean so much more into blockbusters and franchises with like the Twilights and continuing to do Harry Potter and Hunger Games and your more reasonable high school based teen fare. It it dries up, which is such a shame to me because I mean, I saw a couple prompts going around on social media this week where people were talking about kind of like the, like the puritine phenomenon. And one of the things that they cited was, I have a feeling it's because we don't give teens like their own movies where teenagers are their age and like having fun and exploring and even having sex or doing these things. The, the, the stories that they have that deal with like these more, transitionary topics of exploring are shows like Euphoria, which are like incredibly dark and Mm -hmm. definitely skewing towards a more adult audience. Whereas like teen movies just, they don't make them like they used to kids. And I know that makes me sound like a horrible boomer, but that's just reality. That's what we are dealing with right now. I mean, there are series like that you have like your, your love victors and you know, your heart stoppers. You have like cute little series like that. And your high school musical the, the musical, musical the, the series. series. This is very true. It did give us Olivia Rodrigo, so I mean, it will forever get points for that. But they aren't these gigantic phenomenons the way they once were because we're getting to a point where right now we all complain a lot about how samey kind of popular culture is because it's just kind of all Marvel and Star Wars right now. But when we think about like the stuff for teenagers, 
like the social groups are splintering off in ways that they have never done before. Like there is no general teen culture anymore because Mm -hmm. thanks to social media, you can kind of like stay in your own avenue. It's why an app like TikTok has like so many different sides to it where people will be like, oh, I'm on queer TikTok or I'm on, you know, cleaning and organizing TikTok. Like the algorithm like distills you down to a science and you never have to leave that bubble. Whereas like teen movies, you did have to leave that bubble because there was only, I mean, in problematic ways, of course, but there was only one like real angle for you to to get things through. And now that that it's everywhere. So there's not a lot of like overlap of what people are doing. So I, I definitely agree with your assessments, Zach, that this is kind of the a last gasp of a year. And I mean, at least it's not a gasp. It's a belt sing. So that's great. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's not just like the beginning of micro-targeting and the death of the monoculture. Like, remember when we used to refer to things as being four-quadrant, like Mm -hmm. Marvel Mm -hmm. or Star Wars, you know, they appeal to men and women, young and old. But then it was around this time where things needed to also be able to play in Asia, in Europe, all around the world. You know, we, we started making movies for China and other markets. So what, what went away? Teen movies comedies, mm-hmm. rom-coms, uh, anything that wasn't just, you could port it into any pocket of the globe and everybody knows exactly what's going on. Stuff that's um, a little too specific. Stuff that's yeah, a little any, too uh, American culture. Yeah, anything that even has a whiff of specificity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If this can't, if this story cannot be used as a vehicle to put Nicolas Cage or Dwayne The Rock Johnson in the lead role, it doesn't matter to anyone. Yeah, like it's telling that like the biggest comedy of the last 15 years uh, is the movie Ted because they could literally put localized jokes into the teddy bear's mouth. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ugh, God, what a world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> so before we dive in any deeper into High School Musical 2, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Hey there, prom party. Hopefully you are enjoying March's sequel month. We have so much stuff popping off on the Patreon this month, and I only realized when I put it on a list to record these things how much we actually do over there sometimes. The suggestion box that we introduced last month is very, very full of awesome movies. Um, We are always looking for more, and honestly, if we end up with duplicates, then that just lets us know that it's a high priority, and then we pay a little more attention to that one. Also coming to the Patreon this month for our Sadie Hawkins boy episodes, we're doing Bill and Ted and Ready to Rumble for all the people who are craving us to talk about more wrestling stuff more consistently. For our top tier, we're also still working our way through Freaks and Geeks. It's been a really fun rewatch, and we have three really good episodes we're covering this month, but I think I can probably get away with saying that every month, honestly. Also, we have the monthly playlist, BJ's official This Ends at Prom newsletter, and for our musical milestone, we are covering the mistreatment and ascension of Rebecca Black, who just released her first official album last month. In addition to all of the cool new things we've got going on, there's the extensive back catalog of previously released stuff, and as always, if you're not able to subscribe to the Patreon, we totally understand. Just go ahead and give us that Dave Meltzer five-star rating. And maybe share us with a friend who you think enjoys what we will do. With all that out of the way, thank you so much. And now back to the movie. 
Alrighty. So in case there are other people out here who somehow have not seen High School Musical 2, Zach, what would you say the story is of this movie? Well, the story of High School Musical 2 is that after the whirlwind of their junior year, they are now on summer vacation. And because it's the summer and they're 17 years old, they all want to get summer jobs so they can save up some extra money, maybe save up for college, buy a car. Um, And they all get a job at the local country club where the villain of the first film, quote unquote, if you can call her that, Sharpay and her family are, they're not only members of the country club, they seem to like quasi own it. Like, they are definitely the most high-profile people there. Oh, yeah. They and they have some, like, someone's on, like, the board of trustees or some shit. I mean, if, if you want to be honest here, I don't know if there are any other people staying or visiting this country club other than high school <laughs> students, because we don't see them. Yeah, you see, you see Sharpay's parents, you see all the other kids from the school, because Sharpay um, tried to essentially honeypot Troy. <laughs> um, and because she wasn't specific enough in her uh, in her plans to force management to hire him, um, she inadvertently gets the entire school uh, hired at this country club over the summer, um, essentially thwarting her plan to uh, get this boy to, like, is she romantically interested in him or just wants to do a duet at the talent show? I feel like so much of the text of this movie is subtext while so much of the subtext is text like Mm -hmm. not to skip too far ahead but i don't dance is so unsubtle to the point where i don't even think you can say that that song is a metaphor (laughs) (laughs) no i'm right there with you i think i think you're absolutely right and i've always been under the (laughs) under the belief system that sharpay like i don't think that sharpay has like a sexuality i think sharpay is into Sharpay. So she likes Troy because he is a great male vocalist that is not her brother because she's not going to go ahead if she's singing romantic duets with her brother because that's weird and they've done that before and it's weird. Um, And also he comes with a lot of like social currency and she wants that to help bolster her own sort of reputation. So like the, the, the fact that she's into him, I don't think is a crush at all. This is like purely transactional for her. Like, the weird quasi-incest thing in the first High School Musical is the best thing about that movie. And I feel like the secret sauce for the whole franchise is that Lucas Grabeel has chemistry with everyone. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) He really does, though. And I love that in this movie, like, you have this, like, sort of barely, like, breathed-upon subplot that, like maybe Gabriella is into Ryan for some reason. And it's like, no, honey, no. If there is any 12-year-old in the world that is buying into this, they need new parents. Dude, there's a whole scene where Troy is like threatened by Ryan because he's dancing with Gabriella. (laughs) Like, I'm threatened by Ryan and I'm just watching it hold. (laughs) Both of these Evans kids, like Ashley Tisdale in particular, but it's like, Everyone else in this movie is purely an accessory. There's something to ca- the, to have to make them look nice. 
<laughs> I love the Evan siblings. I think they are like two of the greatest characters that we've ever gotten in teen movies. They're unbelievable. And I don't want anyone to ever play them. Like I go back and forth on like, could somebody else play Gabriella? And I'm like, yes, there's like seven other people that I think could play Gabriella, depending on time. Uh, can anybody else play Troy Bolton? Absolutely. Zach Efron is perfect. And he should, he was the perfect choice for this. But I could absolutely see another like heartthrobby boy who can sing really well in that role. But no one else on the planet can play Sharpay Evans other than Ashley Tisdale. I agree. And also, um, you don't even need to be that good of a singer to be Troy Bolton because they can just dub you if they want. Who's the absolute prima boy at East High? I'd say uh, Troy Bolton has that category pretty much locked up, don't you think? Mm. And East High's primo girl. Answer the question! Gosh, uh, you? Troy, Sharpay. Sharpay, Troy, Sharpay. Char. It just makes sense. Evidently not to Troy. But it's summer, Rye. Everything changes. So we've got all of our characters here at the country club um, that, yes, seemingly no one else attends except for the Evans family and some like faceless adults. Like there's a scene where she interrupts her mom at yoga class and there are other adults there, but we don't know who any of them are. Um, but it's also really interesting is because this <laughs> this country club is being run by the weirdest villain um, <laughs> played by Mark Taylor. Um, he's doing a great job, but he is so weird and he's also inadvertently made like a racist caste system because he's put like all of the black students in the kitchen where they can't be seen and no one acknowledges it it's just very upsetting <laughs> it's so weird and mark taylor um this is not the only decom where he is like strangely menacing for the role he's in um the most terrifying father in a decom is his character in eddie's million dollar cook-off yes oh i've seen that one yes <laughs> He's one of like, cause like DCOMs obviously use a lot of the same people over and over again. Um, like just look at all of the Lawrence siblings. Um, but when it comes to the adults, there's like a handful of them and he he's one of them, but he, he's so weird in this. Like when he is introduced to Sharpay, when she, you know, shows up and she's like, these are my demands or whatever. He follows her every word. And then she leaves the frame and he sprays like a, like the breath spray in his mouth. And usually that indicates in comedy, like my brain thinks of things like dumb and dumber or other movies where like, that's supposed to be, oh, you're hot. I'm trying to impress you and make sure my breath smells good. So it's a really weird thing that he's doing in this movie. His entire performance, essentially, he seems like he is trying to crawl out of his own body. <laughs> uh, like, I was fully expecting on a rewatch for him to warn Troy, like, you need to get out of this situation as soon as possible. I am in too deep. I do not want this to happen to you. But instead, he's just like, well, it's a good it's a good get if you can get it. <laughs> OK, but like for real, though, like one, one of the only significant scenes that I think Taylor has in this movie is when he is basically just speaking in like third person about how he's going to be like homeless and lose all of his money because he desperately needs this job and it's like oh wow this this larry miller type character really is just a sympathetic guy who's caught up in the sharpay situation yeah just constantly debasing himself for this teenage girl and you're so right this is such a larry miller part 
Yeah. Like, if this was, like, a theatrical release and not a DCOM, it would be Larry Miller. Like, that for sure is what is happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, So something that is really interesting that High School Musical 2 does that I really want us to talk about, and I'm really excited to pose this question, is so the first High School Musical is kind of giving us a contemporary Romeo and Juliet story. Um, We've got Troy, we've got Gabriella, like she's, you know, a really smart girl who does theater because she can sing really well. And Troy is the the athlete and he wants to sing, but he can't because he's so torn because he's an athlete and they're coming Mm -hmm. from two separate worlds. Blah, 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 blah. We get that story. High School Musical 2 is all about Troy And so this is distinctly like a teen boy movie. Like this is a movie about a teen boy and his journey. But this movie is not meant for teen boy consumption. This to me feels this to me feels (laughs) like there like I hate to reference it, but I'm gonna do it anyway. There's an episode of South Park that is called like the promise ring. And it is about how Disney intentionally uses the Jonas brothers um, and keeps them very Christian and keeps them very like pure, but at the same time is actively preying on the sexual appetites of preteen girls to make money. And that's what high school musical two feels like to me because I, you see Zac Efron shirtless so much in this movie, and yet, like, this is a decom, and it is very innocent, but this is Troy's story, but he is presented in a way that is meant to be appealing to, like, 14-year-old girls that are raging with hormones. Oh, and not only is he shirtless, and you see his abs a lot, he's wet all the time. There is two minutes of him just playing basketball with his shirt off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, apropos of nothing. And, like... I'm so curious, I, I could have just looked this up, I could look this up right now, but I'm not going to, I'm just going to talk, where the first two high school musicals fit in with the musical remake of Hairspray, because this movie just stares camp directly in the face, mm-hmm. despite the fact that it is about Troy, um, and like the third high school musical, hell, even Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure is not quite this bright. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many bright colors. It is so Candy Stripe. It is so Willy Wonka. It is so John Waters mm-hmm. in the way that none of the other movies in this franchise are. I agree. And we we called this out at the very beginning because Harmony was like, are Zac Efron's eyes really that blue or is it like the color correction and I was like well it's both Zac Efron does have these like very piercing blue eyes but this movie is lit and color corrected in a way that just does not exist anymore and it is kind of jarring when you compare it to how like everything we do now is like very naturalistic or it's like very dark and gritty and everything has kind of like a filter over it this movie is like an explosion of color. It, like the spectacle is just in its existence and its costuming. Like the amount of like Sharpay pink in this movie is wild. Oh yeah, especially like, this is the thing BJ said when we were watching it and I was commenting on the colors because I am partially colorblind, so colors are weird for me. But uh, since all of the colors are so bold and dynamic in this movie in particular, I don't get them mixed up because they are so definitively the exact color they're trying to be, which I find quite nice. But we were talking about it and BJ says, oh, I actually really love seeing this right now because I'm so tired of seeing movies where everything is washed out and everything is gray and everything's like minimalism or it's just everything's murky. And I agree as a person who does not get to appreciate like the full spectrum of color that most people do. It's quite refreshing. Like it's giving Greta Gerwig's Barbie. 
Yeah. Just based on set photos and that trailer, like, it is so bright to the point where it's almost like more than the other High School Musical movies. Like, it feels like you're watching it on a stage. Mm Mm-hmm. It, and it's also the only one that takes place a lot outside. I think which is that's such a, a weird. <laughs> yeah, no, that that makes sense. I think it's a lot of that, um, particularly with like the colors. Like, I don't like golf as a sport. Golf's the worst. It's it's terrible, and I hate people who play it. No offense to anyone who plays it, but it's so bad for the environment, uh, especially in the desert. But like the grass looks really nice. Like the greens pop so much. And it's it's this, I don't know. I don't know where they are. It looks like New Mexico or something like that. But like the golden hour that we get every once in a while, it's beautiful. There is particularly a scene where um, it's like, there's this great like tracking shot of Zac Efron going to all of the children, just like doing all of the hilarious things kids could do during a golf lesson. Mm-hmm. Like a kid just like, beating the shit out of the ground and a kid who just like cannot hit the ball at all and then he finally gets to Sharpay who just drops this giant bucket of bright neon pink balls onto this like oversaturated like forest green lawn and of course he just goes nice balls (laughs) incredible incredible work no notes Kenny Ortega (laughs) Okay, yeah, so we, Kenny Ortega is, you know, one of the people who is like a sleeper champion of this show because either he's directing work or he's choreographing work. So he pops up here all the time. He is so clearly like, oh, I'm too big to fail right now. I can do whatever the fuck I want with this movie. And I love that energy because, (laughs) because you're right. There are those moments like, hey, nice balls where you're like, what? And like Ryan is somehow gayer in this movie than he is in the one where he spends most of it on a stage singing show tunes. He's gayer in this movie and it's incredible. Like there's the, you know, the the goddamn baseball number itself feels like a lost moment from Sleepaway Camp. Like if the Sleepaway, if Sleepaway <laughs> Camp was a musical, that baseball scene, just plug and chug. You're good. Make no changes. You're perfect. They literally trade outfits Chad is trade. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yes. Like, how did that slip past whatever whatever censors Disney has in, in place to make sure that nothing is ever gay? Like, how, how did that sneak into this movie? It's probably that because there is a woman, and I don't know if she was being serious or not. I choose to believe that she was absolutely being serious. But there was this woman who tweeted one time that she used to work at Disney, and one of her jobs was to, like, find that sort of stuff. And they <laughs> she tried desperately to explain to them why the DCOM double-teamed about the twin basketball players <laughs> what had a double entendre meaning. And they were like, no, it doesn't, and ignored her. And she's like, okay. And obviously, double teamed sure as shit has another meaning outside of, oh, but they're twins. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm assuming maybe she tried and they didn't listen or she just said, fuck it. Y'all not going to notice anyway. I mean, this is this is the channel that released Motocrossed. Mm-hmm. You're right. I, that might have been the first ever decom we even did on the show. Outside it is of the High first decom we did. Yeah. So there, so there is nothing I can say that has not been said, but like, holy shit. Okay. So I actually have a, a really interesting thought about this. Like Kenny Ortega, he's too big to fail because like, th- th- weirdly enough, looking at numbers, High School Musical 1 did very well. Like for a decom, it did um, the same kind of numbers that that the Cheetah Girls 2 was pulling around the same time. This one- oh, It did so much more. This one blew it out of the water. 
Yeah. This one did like 18 million people or something like that tuned in yeah. for the premiere of this one. This decom was immense, but it's really fascinating that they have all these little things that only adults will notice in it because I don't know if like maybe the first one was really, really popular with parents or like older people found it campy and fun because I don't remember it being nearly as camp as this one. It wasn't at all. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, another thing to consider is that this is like a Scream 2 situation mm-hmm. where they greenlit this, wrote it, film it, ed- edited it, released it in like a span of like eight months. Yeah. Like, this was so fast where nobody was checking anything. This was th- throw everything in the kitchen sink at it. Like, we don't have time. Go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. This movie almost feels... Like, if I had to describe what High School Musical 2 feels like in relation to the first one, this one doesn't feel like a sequel. It feels like downloadable content. Or it feels like a like a 1.5 of a movie to me. And I think, like, as an adult rewatching it, like... It's, it's a much more enjoyable watch because there's so much more that, like, a full-ass 30-something-year-old can get out of, like, me. But as a movie, oh, this plot. This plot's not a plot. This, this, <laughs> this plot is bits. <laughs> yeah. it, it feels more like they took another script or just, like, another pitch and were like, we are projecting high school musical onto it because we do not have enough time to Mm -hmm. figure out what like another story would be it actually has more in common with uh the teen beach movie franchise which i feel like tried to recreate the magic of high school musical however like the audience for the teen beach movies uh have no concept of a teen beach movie they don't really understand what it was referencing Mm -hmm. um but like those movies I mean, High School Musical is like a teen beach movie from the 50s where it's like, there is no plot. There's nothing going on. It is about teenagers, both like covertly and overtly being horny. Yeah, like immensely. And that's about it. Yeah, one of one of my favorite beach movies uh, is called Muscle, Muscle Beach Party. And that one involves a strong man who just grabs onto a helicopter while flies around and he's in his swim trunks. And also a like 10 minute fight scene that just keeps cutting back to the same exact shots of people punching people over and over again to stretch the time. And it's one of my favorite things to watch of that era because it's bonkers. And that's sort of what this does feel like. It's just lots of colors and slapstick and goofy nonsense. And also, you know, perving on, on Zac Efron if you're a young, impressionable girl. It, it it really does track, but the comparison that I made while watching this that BJ went, yes, I'm very glad that you finally pointed that out, is that the original High School Musical, it's like, oh, that's Grease. High School Musical 2 is Grease 2, down to the luau and everything. So, yes, thank you for pointing that out because you're absolutely right. Because this movie feels campier, it feels hornier, it feels more adult, it's taking bigger swings. And yes, it also has a problematic Luo number. And it cracks me up because I see so many people give this movie shit for that number where they're like, wow, this is so racist. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Did you miss the part where Sharpay is the villain of this movie? I I don't know if you realize that like you're not supposed to be on her side for making this horrifically appropriative song you're supposed to be feeling a lot of cringe the same way that Zac Efron is feeling right now um because no this is a bad idea for her just as it was a bad idea in Greece too um yeah there's a lot of similarities in this also the fact that again it's focusing the boy rather than the girl uh Gabriella is like 
barely here. Like, mm-hmm. she is such an afterthought in this movie. And I feel bad because Vanessa Hudgens does finally get a song that really does sound nice on her voice in this. She has several. She gets that, she gets some, she gets some really nice songs in this because the first movie I feel like, you know, they were casting people um, after the stuff was already written. This, clearly they're writing for their voices and it shows because she sounds really lovely in this. But as far as an actual character, non-issue. Like, she is doing nothing in this movie and I feel so bad for her because she's supposed to be the lead lady. Troy and Gabriella truly give us nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> in this one. Yeah, their their love story is such a non-issue and like <laughs> in a weird way it feels very intentional because so much of this movie is about Troy like doing it for the wildcats. Like he's doing it for everybody. It's not just about him. It's for it's for the whole school. I got to get the whole school a job. I've got to like fuck off and pretend that I'm really good at basketball with these people that are two feet taller than me. But no, I need the whole school to be involved. I can't just come back for the talent show. The whole school has to sing this big rousing number. Boy, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm going to be a troll for a second, but Uh also like I half believe this. Like I want to program this movie on a bill with like the menu and triangle of sadness and (laughs) any season of the white Lotus. Cause it is just the same structure of this, you know, new sub genre of sorts that's in vogue where it's about like the working class people of color working at a resort while Sharpay Evans is just absolutely fucking miserable. Mm -hmm. Okay. But you're not wrong. This movie was like a decade ahead. You're not (laughs) wrong. Like this absolutely is like, let's make the rich miserable but for teens, like this is baby's first eat the rich movie. And uh, <laughs> I kind of love it. Like and Sharpay's getting shit on this whole movie and she's doing it with a lot of style with zero grace as to be expected. Um, but if if anybody knows what movie they're in, it's Ashley fucking Tisdale. Oh, she is immaculate. She's incredible in this. She is she's like, I know that Zac Efron's the star. Ashley Tisdale is clearly the star. And I, I one of my favorite parts of this entire movie that I did not notice the first time I watched it is that at the end of the movie, he goes, hey, I, I'm going to sing on stage with you. We're going to do a duet together because we're all in this together. And then he changes the song and sings it with Gabriella instead. And she has to stand there and watch and gets to come up as a part of like the chorus. Like that is so mean. <laughs> that is that is not we're all in this together at all. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love that uh, Ryan sold out his sister for Dick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's what happens. Did. I'll show you that it's one in the same baseball dance and same game. It's easy. Step up to the plate, start swinging. I want to play ball now, and that's all. This is what I do. It ain't no dance that you can show me. So speaking of Ryan's number, do, do we do we have 
a favorite song in this in the soundtrack because of the many things I could say of comparing this to the first one, I think the first one is a much better film with like a story and a structure. This one has infinitely better songs. What what's our favorite? Well, mine's Bet on It. Like, there's no question. Um, everything about Bet on It is amazing to me. I think the song is great. I think Zac Efron is committing in ways that I never thought possible. The hand choreography is great, but also there are moments where he's just, it just feels like he's flailing. And I know that Kenny Ortega is a choreographer, so he clearly structured this. But the fact that it looks like flailing is really funny to me because it feels kind of like an interpretive dance version of like every rebel without a cause. Like, I'm just so brooding and I'm full of so many emotions. Like, that's what it feels like. It feels like that, but interpretive dance and it's really funny and it's also the song that i sing the most so that's my favorite also his facial expressions like for someone who looks so lean the whole movie for some reason he's like swollen in that number (laughs) and it's the only number in the movie where there isn't stuff going on in the background there isn't anything else to look at it's just a horizon line some grass and him just moving (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's I've, I've not seen anything like it in any of these other Disney musicals because now there's like six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. They, they never they never try this again. It's it's baffling. I, I think that's part of why so many people love it so much. I'm still stuck in thinking, I'm like, this is insane. <laughs> what? How did... Th- I need... I used to jokingly call my old podcast the uh, complete oral history of Disney Channel original movies because the whole hook of the show is that I did no research. <laughs> and But I desperately need somebody to break down like how bet on it happened because it is so different from anything else in these movies. It's just very strange as a musical number, period. And it also mostly works. I, I agree. I, I do think bet on it suffers far more than any other movie on the soundtrack by the by bad production because i i think that they the whoever mixed these songs they really really raised the vocals and made sure you could hear the beat so you wouldn't lose tempo but all the other instruments are totally lost in the mix and bet on it because of the kind of song it is i think that it i once i've noticed it i can't unnotice it i'm like oh my god please remaster this It, it would be so good it's so close to being amazing Instead, it's just great. But I I think that it's really amazing that you have Zac Efron having to sell you on this entire song by himself because there isn't anything else, including a CG version of himself. And I think it's the only CG in the entire movie. Oh, uh, the fireworks at the end. Oh. Those amazing fireworks. <laughs> Those fireworks, though, that is a screensaver. Like somebody put a screensaver behind the, the, the resort. It is atrocious looking but the thing is like anytime you say something is like atrocious or awful or cringe in this movie you say it with love like because that's kind of the appeal of of this movie is that even the stuff that's terrible is wonderful i mean that's that's the kind of energy you want out of a good made for tv movie right yes this is absolutely it and i think that there's there's something that feels so genuine about this movie that i think gets lost even in the latter high school musical films definitely in the teen beach movie films the lemonade mouths like all of the stuff that's going to come in the future like there's just something about high school musical 2 that has never been replicated and i i like want to protect it in a time capsule bubble which luckily it is because that's how movies work but it is just (laughs) so 
ridiculous and every choice is just insane. Like, why is Kelsey wearing like a Civil War cap? Like, what is <laughs> happening? Also, the just, hats. The hats. Everybody's hats. Yep. Every hat in this Everybody's movie. hats. Yeah, if you want to go on a tangent about hats, I welcome it. <laughs> I mean, I don't have much to say other than just, like, I want to make a PowerPoint presentation and just flip through every single one and then just point at the screen. Uh, <laughs> the the thing about this movie, so, like, if you watch High School Musical 3, it is so clearly what if High School Musical 1, but with a theatrical budget. Yes. Well, High School Musical 2 is just so clearly they were building the plane as they fly it. Like, my best guess about the bet on it number is that they, like, some, they went over budget and they went over time on some of their other numbers. They only had this, they only had Zach for, like, one more day. And they're just like, we have no money. All the extras have gone home. (laughs) We're gonna do this right now. And, like, the whole movie sort of feels that way, where, like, some scenes are so big and look so expensive, and then other scenes, it's like, there is nobody at this hotel. And that that spontaneity, the, the way this movie sort of oscillates between, like, lo-fi and hi-fi is the thing that none of the other decom musicals have ever had to grapple with. Partly, it's a victim of its own success, and it's all the better for it, because after this, the decom, it stopped being, like, 10 to 12 a year and started being, like, 2, 3, 4, and they were making more and more musicals with bigger and bigger budgets. They never ran into this particular problem again. They were ready for it. So, like, this is, like, the one time that they were just sort of flying by the seat of their pants, and, like, trying to capitalize on something that they were not counting on being so big. No, that's that feels very correct. Like, there's almost a, uh, a, a, a slapdash Roger Corman quality to how this is made. Absolutely. And something that I did learn, because I did do a little bit of research because I just wanted to know. Um, obviously, with the success of High School Musical just becoming just the, the cultural juggernaut that it is, they threw Zac Efron into voice training because they're like, we can't just keep having Drew Seeley sing for you. One, that's shitty. We would just have put him in here. And two, because this is no longer a one-off, like we we need that. Like it's it's just it would have been really awful for them to keep dubbing him. So he can, he can do live productions now. Well, that's also a big a big thing to it. But Zac Efron spent five months uh, in voice training. So, like, while everybody else is working on writing this movie and putting it together, he's just being trained over and over again and getting just, like, like the same way that so many celebrities are like, I drank ice cream every day, and that's why I got to play Dick Cheney or whatever. Uh, now we have Zac Efron, who is just singing his face off for five months. So part of me thinks that this might have been a gift <laughs> to be like, look at how much work you've put in. Here's your own song. You earned it, buddy. <laughs> or alternatively, he really pissed people off, and they're like, we're going to set this boy up to fail. <laughs> because in his duets in this movie, like, you do not hear him in the mix. That's a no. really good point. You don't. He He's getting pushed down. And, I mean, you have Vanessa Hudgens and uh, Ashley Tisdale who are both very distinct singers on top of just being, you know, very theatery sounding, but their voices are very, very distinct. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to fight when you're singing against them because they will take you down. 
Well, it's especially Ashley Tisdale doing an, an immense character voice in her singing style. That's just her voice. <laughs> I know, but like, <laughs> BJ, you were telling me that like she tried to do the normal like Disney kid to pop stardom trajectory, but every single thing she released just sounds like theater kid stuff and it didn't work, right? Yeah, it it didn't. Um, she's I will say now that she's gotten a little bit older and her voice has aged a little bit, um, she is kind of finding this like really nice pop contemporary voice that sits really nice in her register. So I've really liked listening to Ashley Tisdale's new stuff. But yeah, like fresh out of the Disney machine, she still sounds very theatery. So it wasn't able to make the crossover the way so many other of the teen starlets were able to do. Um, kind of like how Hillary Duff's pop stuff still sounds kind of like that. But by the time Ashley Tisdale came around, like we had kind of pushed that sound aside. And the reason that like people like Miley were able to do it because Miley has like a very gruff and very raspy voice. And then Selena Gomez was making dance pop music. So she was able to kind of do that as well. And then you, of course you have Demi Lovato who sings like a maniac so Mm -hmm. there was no stopping Demi so Ashley Tisdale kind of like fell through the cracks a little bit um that bubble gum was just not in the right era yeah I think like had Ashley Tisdale been around like maybe three four years earlier she absolutely would have been able to be like uh, uh, one of the Disney graduates into pop stardom for sure Mm -hmm. um but she was a little bit too late for that to happen and also we had already seen way too many photos of her wearing skirts over jeans so she was done like there was oh, no Oh she's an icon that. how dare you <laughs> She owns the- that look when you see that look you go oh that's an Ashley Tisdale I think the only way that an Ashley Tisdale makes it through the you know the Disney churn into being a genuine pop star is to take the Taylor Swift route mm-hmm. but the Taylor Swift route didn't really exist until Taylor Swift like she mm-hmm. is the only one of her contemporaries at this time in the Disney machine who has theater kid energy like I cannot imagine Miley Cyrus or Hillary Duff um, singing Angela Bassett did the thing um, <laughs> but Ashley Tisdale would eat at the BAFTAs <laughs> yeah she would leave no crumbs behind <laughs> doing a BAFTA rap my god oh my god also like something I just noticed when I was looking at the soundtrack for this they really knew that the intentionally bad luau song was bad so they dumped it as the last track so you could turn the CD off early <laughs> which I think is kind of the the smart decision. I it really that- is, because I think the rest of these, I'm pretty sure it runs chronologically for how they play in the movie, but not that one. We're just like, nah, just bury that one in track 11. <laughs> I know that they brought it back for, um, there's a stage version of High School Musical 2, because there's the stage version, I think, of the first, both the first two. I'm not sure if the third one ever got a stage version, but uh, th- I think that song is like set up in a way that's like, it's, it's an alternate, like you can have it or you can get rid of it and it doesn't change the story. Gotcha. I mean, it kind, of, correctly. it kind of doesn't change the story if you remove it from this one. Like you're not missing much other than Zac Efron going, oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Well, the, the one like story element that you lose is Zac giving his like artiste speech basically where he's like, you ever think about just singing and not having all the lights and all the, all of the, like the accoutrement? Do you ever just sing with your friends? Cause that's what it's about. Like it is the most, like I don't make movies to make money. I make them for the art. Yeah. I mean, I guess that does set up the joke later on when they repurpose, uh, 
Kelsey's song and it's like, oh, no, it's going to be stripped down. It's going to be beautiful, like in the dining room. And then it's like, no, pyro, big explosions, <laughs> full stage productions, like this Michael Jackson wind machine to blow your shirt up in the middle of the stage. Yeah. What is up with the wind machine, though? These are these are supposed to be canonically teenagers. These are minors. And we are openly like wind machine abbing. <laughs> I don't know. BJ, um, I know we talked about this a little bit off mic, but do you do you want to talk about Zac Efron's weird relationship with being sexualized for a cot sec? Because I I feel so I feel weirdly protective of this man and how people treat him and his body. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that. So obviously, Zac Efron is was just like a, a teen heartthrob. And then immediately once leaving kind of the Disney machine was sexualized to the point where he had like disordered eating and Mm -hmm. was very open about how working out for like Baywatch and movies like that, like made him feel some kind of way. Oh, yeah, because he had to keep up with The Rock for that one. And it Mm -hmm. was really unhealthy. Yeah. So, you know, there there's that kind of thing. And, you know, he's got this like fandom that's like really, really young. But at the same time, it almost in a very gross kind of twilighty way, feels like a lot of moms were also super into Zac Efron because like, oh, this is the the cute guy that's on the show my kid likes, but like, I don't watch it for, for the songs or whatever. I watch it for Zac Efron, which is so predatory and gross. Oh, I and, had two teachers ooh. in high school who were like that. Please explain, because that's the grossest thing I've heard all day, and I work in media. Um, yeah, no, I had two different teachers, uh, weirdly enough, both English teachers who would have like conversations with the other girls in class and just be like, oh my God, but that's Zac Efron, like he's so cute. And I'm like, you're like 44. Why are you talking like this? And it just felt very unpleasant. And then like thinking back on it, I was like, oh, one of those teachers also went on a long rant about how much she hated socialism and how Barack Obama was going to destroy America. So just a lot of things you don't think is you think it's weird at the time, but then you think back on it and go, no, that was way weirder than I realized. Ernie, I think you and I had the exact same high school experience. Uh, oh, really? Give or take. Yeah, like the teachers who would go on those unhinged rants were also the ones. Um, this is actually this triggered a memory for me that I had completely repressed. Um, there was one of my teachers in high school had the poster of Zac Efron when he had like his longer hair he was a little more like not quite as twinkish as he was in this movie but Mm -hmm. not quite like Baywatch buff yet where it's like him in like the tight white t-shirt and he's like it's like lifted up halfway and you can like kind of see his cum gutters (laughs) oh I googled it and found it immediately (laughs) oh it's like the first thing I think it was a Rolling Stone cover oh well she had it in her classroom. That's not okay. I don't I don't like that. Like I I feel so weird about people like like even more recently like Zac Efron's kind of like grown into like a bit of a bear. Like he's 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 put on a bit of weight and he's like hairy now and everyone's like he got fat. And I'm like he did not. And they're like it's dad bod. I'm like it's not even dad bod. He's just like built like a buff man. Yeah, why just, why are you like this? He's bulked now. He lo- well, and also right now he's prepping for the Iron Claw where he's going to play one of the Von Erics, which are like uh. the beefiest wrestlers. And that movie's going to be a bad time. A lot of people were like, Haha, look at his haircut. Zac Efron. I'm like, that movie's going to ruin your fucking life because the Von Erich story is devastating. You can oh, Google that later and have a bad it's time. so sad. And I just want to know who's going to play Carrie because yeah. he's like, the beefiest. Like that's a Sean Durkin movie, right? So like, yeah, 
the the guy who made some of the biggest bummers of the last 10 years is gonna make a bigger bummer yeah like he used martha martha marcy may marlene and was like oh this is like fictional but it's it's inspired by true events this is like actually true events that are the worst thing like if anybody pitched the von erich's family story to like lifetime they'd be like that's too much that's not realistic but um nope that's a that's a real thing and it's gonna be a huge bummer um but, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad though that you brought up like the weird like sexualization of Zac Efron because I think that also explains a lot of kind of the career that we've been seeing with him recently where, you know, he did stuff like extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile where he's playing Ted Bundy. And to me, that feels like the same way that Miley was like, I'm going to twerk and smoke weed. This is his way of breaking apart from like that legacy because there's something so weird about anybody who is popular in the teen sphere. So whether it is the Twilight kids, the Harry Potter kids, the high school musical kids, whoever, no matter what they do after that career, that is the thing people bring up all the time. We saw it with Rob Pattinson in the Batman where they're like, you're gonna, you're gonna have Edward Cullen as your Batman. And it's like, shut the fuck up. Like that was so long ago. And, you know, people still bring up High School Musical when they talk about Zac Efron now as if he hasn't done so many movies <laughs> since mm-hmm. the, since then. And I mean, I guess maybe it's the memification of this movie or the fact that these movies were everywhere at the time. But I totally understand like why he would have like a really fucked up relationship with this movie and the way people treated him during this time in his life because it was super fucked up. Yeah, like they're... I feel like all of these actors from Twilight, Harry Potter, Hunger Games, High School Musical, etc., you know, they all tried the same thing. Where, like, Vanessa Hudgens and Zac Efron both came out in, like, Spring Breakers and The Paperboy in, like, the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're still tied to those characters more than, say, Kristen Stewart or Robert Pattinson or Daniel Radcliffe or Rupert Grint because they found, like, a separate identity in the roles that they chose, like... When we think about like what a Daniel Radcliffe movie is now, like we it's picture weirdo a completely shit. different thing because yeah, because there's such a consistent through line of his post work. Well, like Robert Pattinson, same thing. Where it's like by the time he got to Batman, like idiots were being like Edward Cullen is Batman, but it's like but the real heads were like oh he's been playing a bunch of like weird introverted psychos, <laughs> like. The Twilight stands who got tricked into going to see Cosmopolis in a theater. <laughs> like, they knew they knew what was up because Bruce Wayne is just Robert Pattinson in Cosmopolis. Right. And, like, that's not to say that Zac Efron and Vanessa Hudgens aren't good actors who have been in good movies since. But there has been a thermostatic element to the roles that they have picked where it's like, Zac Efron will go do some weird boy shit, but then he'll also do that awkward moment. Right. Like, he'll he'll do, you know, Firestarter, but he'll also be Fred Jones and Scoob. Like, so there's, there's some stuff that feels like he's still kind of connected to that world a little bit. Um, and I think the same thing happened with Vanessa Hudgens. Like, she's so good in Tick, Tick, Boom. And no one talked about her in it at all, because obviously Andrew Garfield's also just unreal in that movie. But she's fantastic in that movie and does not get get credit for it, because I think people just can't 
break that or the fact that she does all of the Netflix uh, Christmas movies of the Princess Switch movies, which are one, their own cinematic universe. Uh, that's a real thing. And two, she is playing such camp in it that it still feels like theater kid energy. But honestly, if she wants to just continue being a theater kid for the rest of her life, I'm happy with it because she's really good at it. Yeah, like the Princess Switch is a franchise you do if you want to lean into the I'm going to be the high school musical girl forever. Yes, like she has found a way to just completely own like, oh, you think that I'm Gabriella forever? All right, let's go for it. And I really respect that about her. Um, And then we have everyone else who, you know, Corbin Blue is just forever going to be. Is that Corbin Blue from Jump In? Like, that's Mm going to be his most recognizable pop culture thing, which sucks because I think he is also ridiculously talented. Um, And that's just kind of uh, (laughs) that's just kind of where a lot of a lot of these characters ended up is the, the two leads got pushed to superstardom. Ashley Tisdale, I feel like, is forever going to be like denied the ability to be like an absolute just powerhouse. I'm hoping that maybe in her now that she's an adult and there's been some time away that somebody will give her like a really meaty role that she deserves. And then people will finally take her seriously because I I think Ashley Tisdale is like one of the most talented people that the Disney channel has ever produced. And the fact that she's not like doing weird Hulu, like true crime docu, like not docu series, but like, any of their like weird dramatized series is a is a crime because I think she'd be amazing at it. I've never said this for anyone ever, but like somebody get that girl a general with Ryan Murphy. Yeah, okay. Oh, yes. No. If anyone on the planet would understand what to do with Ashley Tisdale, it is Ryan Murphy. And you're so right. Normally I would not wish that on my enemies, but she deserves a Ryan Murphy push to superstardom. Oh my God. You just like blew my mind with that. That is such perfect. That is, that would be the collaboration of the century for me. The Midsummer's Night talent show means something to me and to my family. Those wildcats will turn it into a farce. I am. Your brother is one of those wildcats, I'm told. Oh, don't you mention that traitor to us. Employee involvement in the show is a tradition here. Traditions change. My parents have important guests coming. We'll need every employee working the party and not on stage. Pardon moi, but we're not just talking about employees. We're talking about your classmates. You might want to think this one out. All right. Done. Now do it. She could be so good in dramatic roles. I fully believe that. But also, like, Ashley Tisdale has great comedy chops. Just put her in adult comedies. That's true. I would love, like, a filthy Ashley Tisdale movie. Like, let her play a role that would normally go to, like, Elizabeth Banks. Like, let Elizabeth Banks direct Ashley Tisdale. Like, th- that would be nice. Um, Honestly, like, give her the kind of roles that we give, like, Rose Burns. Like, I, I think she could manage that. I mean, Rose Byrne, she's in a Zac Efron movie in Neighbors, and they have great chemistry. Yeah. Very fun movie for both of them. (laughs) I feel like I got to write something for Ashley Tisdale now. (laughs) Serious. I feel like every screenwriter should be writing something for Ashley Tisdale right now. She deserves it. (laughs) Like, at this point, enough time has passed where, like, nostalgia as a concept is its own form of intellectual property. And also, like, I think when you cast uh, somebody like this, you're getting into like the you utilize their star power as like meta casting and that creates its own certain level of enjoyment and enhances your product if you write with that in mind. 
And I don't think we have fully utilized a lot of like people who could be good character actors, but are known for like one specific pop culture moment. But you could do so much more with that. Like, like the Vanessa Hudgens of the Princess Switch, that's metacasting. Like, do that for more people. And I think we would have like really compelling characters out the wazoo. And I think we'd also have a lot more fun because maybe maybe that's going to be the next step because the last like five years, everything has been about trauma. Oh, misery. And just absolute misery. Like, bring back some of these like absolute goofballs and like just let them go off and like just be high energy. I think I think that would be a, a nice change of pace from the the current landscape we've been in for entertainment. Barbie's going to break down some doors. I oh God, I can't wait. God willing. <laughs> I'm going to be so insufferable about that movie. I can't wait. <laughs> Ashley Tisdale is really good playing herself in an episode of the Comedy Central series review that like literally no one has seen. Yeah, I have not I'm seen like, this. I don't know what this is. What, what is this? <laughs> Um, so it is a remake of an Australian show that uh, actually Margot Robbie was on. Um, it is about Andy Daly plays this guy who, instead of reviewing movies or books or food, he reviews life itself. So he gets like a prompt of like, this week you need to review racism. So he goes out into the field and starts being super racist and finds that it's bad and gives it half a star. Um, oh my god. <laughs> Or um, there's an episode where he reviews going to space. So he they end up like chartering him on one of those private space flights. And uh, Lance Bass plays himself as one of the other people on that chartered space flight. And all sorts of wacky hijinks happens with him going to space. And he gives it three stars. Like... <laughs> And there, I think there's like an episode about like going on a date with a celebrity and they, uh, the celebrity that they can get on short notice is, uh, Ashley Tisdale. Um, so he like, they like spend like $10,000 on like a charity auction for him to go on a date with Ashley Tisdale. And then he makes it super fucking weird. I, and it's fantastic. <laughs> I love this. Like saying that this is like a remake of uh, an international series makes so much sense because this is not something that Americans would produce. But like specifically even like British or Australian comedies, they know what to do with personalities. Like I I wish that we did that more, you know, like stuff like Big Fat Quiz where we utilize like comedic personalities really, really well. And just we just do absurd, goofy stuff. Like, I, I think that we could stand to have a lot more fun like that in this country. Absolutely. And, you know, what I learned from that and why I went on this aside is that uh, Ashley Tisdale is game. Like, this was, like, in 2013. <laughs> like, this was not very long after Sharpay's Fabulous Adventure. Like, this was still Ashley Tisdale, like, in the public consciousness. That's incredible. I, I did a quick search on her IMDb and it looks like she's been doing like some uh, some TV stuff. Uh, she was a voice in a horror video game, which I think is kind that's perfect. Like she has a, a really wonderful voice. Obviously, we saw on like Phineas and Ferb. She's so goddamn funny um, as Candace. She's she's just really, really great. Um, but, you know, she she's kind of just been hanging out. I do follow her on TikTok because I'm a weirdo and she seems to be kind of living her best life. But. If, if there's anything that I learned from rewatching High School Musical 2, it's that the world needs more Ashley Tisdale. <laughs> here, here. So in our worship of Ashley Tisdale, 
there's no one in this movie who worships her quite like Ryan. Um, would, would we like to talk about the code name that Ryan has for his sister? Yeah, it is um, Golden Throat. I thought Nancy <laughs> Reagan would sue for copyright infringement, but uh, apparently... Yeah, there's a new goat in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, again, I feel like this is Kenny Ortega being like, what are they going to fucking do to me? Like, what are they going to do? Tell me I can't. They don't have time for reshoots, and this thing already cost a lot of money for a TV movie. Like, I, he, he really just puts them over a barrel. Because I feel like, okay, genuinely, can you imagine being Kenny Ortega in this meeting and somebody being like, Kenny, we have some thoughts about the code name of Golden Throat. We think that it might be inappropriate. Why? She's a perfect singer. Why would this be a problem? Kenny, you know, like... It could mean other things. Why would a child know what that means? Why would a 12-year-old in our demo know what that means? Maybe you're the weird one, guys. Like, like it is a perfect trap. Like, there's no way that Golden Throat is not making it to the final page. I just imagine that standards and practices meeting was like the scene in They Came Together when uh, Christopher Maloney shits into his Halloween costume. <laughs> I'm disgusted by all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Like, it's just, it's these little moments that really elevate High School Musical 2 to like in the stratosphere for me. And yes, I do agree with you, Harmony, that as far as like cinematic structure is concerned, High School Musical 1 is the better film. But in terms of the one that I'm going to watch more, the one that I'm going to think about more, and the one that's going to have a longer lasting impact, it's High School Musical 2 without fucking question. I agree, which is why I say I hold multiple truths at the same time with this movie. I never said that High School Musical 2 doesn't rule because it does. Like, this is so much more enjoyable. Like, the first one is it's very it's it's kids glove. It's cute. Like, nothing wrong with a cute movie. It's fine. But this one is like, no, we 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 know who's really going to enjoy this one. Like, like the, the parents, let's give them something. Let's give them some little treats some breadcrumbs for them to have fun with this one. The kids that are going to grow up and clearly be gay. Let's give them something to enjoy with the whole of Ryan. Let's just have let's have a good time with this one. And it it just translates to adult eyes so much better than the first one does. Again, a musical number where a jock sings about how he doesn't dance while dancing. <laughs> He's got good moves. He's got great moves. That that bat choreo, it's marvelous. Oh yeah, just really finessing that bat. Like it is <laughs> like this movie is truly for the gays and theys in a way that the other high school musical movies are not. Okay, yes. So I would argue that the first one is like girls gays and theys. This one is gays and theys. And 12-year-old girls. Like, that is who this movie is for. In, in order. In order. Gays are at the top of, of this list, for sure. Because this movie is so unapologetically gay. And, like, even the adult characters, they're all camp characters. And I like when we were talking at the very beginning, even just about the color, and you, you know, you name-dropped John Waters. That is who a lot of these adults feel like. They feel like adults that are coming out of a John Waters school of filmmaking, obviously not R-rated or NC-17 because it's the Disney Channel. But every adult is crazy in this movie. They are all cartoons, and it's fantastic. <laughs> dare, dare I say, as, as someone who has not seen any other 
following high school adventures with either Sharpay or High School Musical 3. Did we fly too close to the sun and that's why they made Ryan straight? No, it's because it's the Disney Channel and you're not allowed to be yet. I know, but they made they made it real obvious he's gay in this one. And I feel like they went, OK, we need to course correct for the third one because we, we we're, we've gone fully out of subtlety. It's basically just text now. Also, without speculating about the actors, because it's not fair, but like, isn't Lucas Grabeel like very straight? Yes, he is. He is very straight. And he has done some interviews. We talked about this during our first episode. He's done some interviews where he says, like, in hindsight, I would not have taken that role because it's really not fair. But I felt like, you know, I just wanted the role and it was a Disney Channel and it was a big deal. But he's like, that character means so much to so many people and it probably should have gone to a young gay kid. So I like that he acknowledges that, but he also is, like, very honored that Ryan is so formative for so many people and he takes that like very seriously and I love that about him which makes the performance even more impressive because like I would not have doubted for a moment like you can usually get a whiff of like oh straight actor but like he is so lived in in that role especially in two where like in three he reads a little phony I don't smell James Corden on him at all no not at all it's an incredible performance He's so good. I agree. And I think it's too good. I think he's too good. (laughs) And I do think that there probably was some meetings where they were like, you got to chill it out a little bit. And that's probably why the character doesn't feel as authentic in the future movies, because they did try to reel it back a little bit. I mean, and the same thing with Kelsey, like Kelsey is so clearly a lesbian Uh and they just don't let, they don't let her live her best life uh, in, because again, Disney it's, it's the, the mid, to late 2000s. We just, we weren't there yet. Um, and that's a real shame. Honestly, Disney's going to be thrown kicking and screaming um, into it anyway. But uh, the the lack of queerness is always going to be a bummer. I should say the lack of canonical queerness is always going to be a bummer. But Kenny Ortega so clearly just like injected so much of it subtextually into these movies. And I love that because... Some of my favorite queer films are films that were like during the Hays Code uh, when you couldn't actually be queer because you had to be more creative about it. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, like those movies tend to speak to me a lot more than a lot of the overtly queer stuff because it feels too precious and too sentimental in a way that like just doesn't meld well with my sensibilities. Whereas like High School Musical 2 does where it feels kind of like it's speaking like a little secret to me. Like it's like a, oh, if you know, you know. And I would much rather that than have somebody like spelling it out loud because that's not how I live my life. Um, Like I don't walk down the street just being like, hi, by the way, I'm gay. (laughs) Like that's just not (laughs) a thing I do. Um, and so I'm definitely more of a high school musical too, of like, I don't dance. <laughs> so I don't know. That's just me though. No, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, I think it speaks to queerness having to exist in a straight world because that's what most of queerness is. Um, as opposed to like, I don't know, the, the bird cage where it's like, everything's gay and we've forgotten how to be straight because we're in such a gay haven. Like that doesn't speak to me the way that like, processing queerness in its relation to heterosexual culture does like this 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 feels much more like what you're saying like that's how i go through life and it feels correct to me i feel like the first movie has you know troy 
challenging traditional roles of masculinity in like a very straight context you know the basketball player wanting to be in the school play well high school musical 2 is about like heterosexuality persevering in the most like queer fantasia possible <laughs> like ryan evans may be canonically straight but he also canonically fooled around with uh, chad his uh, sophomore year summer <laughs> they're, they're, they're just they're just guys being dudes Talking about how they don't dance while dancing with each other and then, you know, trading shirts. Yeah. God, it's just in, in a perfect world, <laughs> they could somehow make a two bros sitting in a hot tub vine reference in this movie. Like there's a pool. There's not a hot tub. <laughs> something that. OK, speaking of the pool, though, something Harmony pointed out that did crack my ass up is during like the, the big number outside the pool. Um, it's so clear how many takes they had to do because the amount of water splash on the perimeter is very visibly changing throughout this the, the number. So the next time any of you watch <laughs> High School Musical 2, keep, keep an eye out for it. It's really funny and you realize, oh man, they made those kids do this number at least like 10 times. Oh, they did so many takes of it. And you can tell when they finally wrap it up where like the sun is going down. <laughs> Yeah, it's completely changed. I mean, maybe that's why they didn't have things outside as much in the other movies. Oh, God, absolutely ridiculousness. And I mean, before we go, shout out to Miley Cyrus, who was the winner of the fan vote of who gets to cameo in High School Musical 2. Uh, I know for sure she beat out the Jonas Brothers. She beat out other people, too, but I wasn't 100% sure who was on it. I just know for sure she beat the Jonas Brothers. So one of Miley Cyrus's earliest film uh, credits is Girl at Pool, and congrats to her. (laughs) I love that they make a big deal out of that, and I think she is on screen for no more than two seconds. Yep. (laughs) like they pan and show her like singing and dancing in background but you know what we were involved we got to vote on that we got to pick that so our voices were heard in high school musical too and that maybe that's why i love it so much because i'm a part of that this is like giving me a credit at the end for donating on kickstarter before that was a thing (laughs) (laughs) you just know people were pausing their tivos to find her and like doing the little leo dicaprio and once upon a time thing at their screen just (laughs) Mom, I did that. I voted for her. That's me. She's there because of me, Mom. Kenny Ortega made it with Shake and Bake, and I helped. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think that is the perfect way to wrap up High School Musical 2. Zach, I just want to thank you again for joining us and having this delightful conversation. Where can people find you, your work, anything on the internet if you want them to find you? Sure, you can find me at Zach Heltzel on anything, Z-A-C-H-H-E-L-T-Z-E-L. I primarily live on Twitter and TikTok, which is a very precarious way to be on social media these days. Uh, I'm in between projects at the moment, but whatever I end up doing next, you'll find out about it there. Incredible. And as always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and begrudgingly on TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by High School Musical 2? Well, I mean, first of all, in honor of this being High School Musical 2, go go listen to the second Sonderbombs album, Clothbound, because I love it. And I know that our theme's not from that one. It's from the first album, but I just felt like doing it. But on to the actual plug, I'm shouting out a band called Johnny Manchild, 
and the poor bastards. And uh, I was playing a little bit of them before we sat down to record for BJ. And I pitched it to her by basically being like, look, this is some nerdy ass theater kid music that switches genres all the time. Sometimes it's like alt rock. Sometimes it's yacht rock. Sometimes it's just like jazz. Also, it's the best version of Panic at the Disco that you've ever heard. Okay, yeah. So Harmony was playing me beforehand, and she was like, this is what Brendan Urie wishes he sounds like, and that is the correct assessment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Johnny Manchild and what is it? The the the, uh, the, the poor bastards. The I know you want to say suffering bastards because it's one of my favorite drinks. Yes, because I was like, that's a cocktail, though. Uh, yeah, so Johnny Manchild and the, and the poor bastards. Uh, this is definitely some good shit. If you were really into like dark cabaret music in the 2000s, but you want it to be like a boy with a lot of feelings, this is this is some good shit. <laughs> yes. So so they have a few albums, but the two that I primarily love is uh, One Big Beautiful Sound, which is more of like a jaunty theater kids album. And then the other one, which was just released late last year, is We Did Not Ask For This Room. And they're both good theater music. The second one is more sad theater kid music while switching genres, and they both say fuck a lot. So how about that? Perfect. Love it so much. Definitely give them a listen. All right, friends, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.